Today on CityCast Salt Lake, the crescent moon was spotted on Friday night, which means that thousands of Muslims across the Salt Lake Valley are now celebrating the holy month of Ramadan, which includes fasting from dawn to dusk. My friend Nora Abudan is the co-founder of the Emerald Project, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to combat misrepresentations of Islam. I'm a board member there, and I asked Nora to join me in sharing some tips for non-Muslims to being a good neighbor during the next 28 days of Ramadan. It's Monday, April 4th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Hi, Nora. Hi, Ali. Yeah, Ahlein, yeah, Ahlein. Welcome to CityCast Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited when you asked me to be on the show. Happy Ramadan. Thank you, Habibdi. Ramadan Kareem to you and yours too. I'm excited to talk to you about this holy month and how we can all celebrate a little, whether or not we're Muslim. But my first question for you is, what is Ramadan? <laughs> That's a really good foundational question. So I'm glad that you're asking, like, what is Ramadan? (laughs) So essentially, it is the holy month for all Muslims. It's the month that we believe our holy book, the Quran, was revealed to Prophet Muhammad. Please and blessings be upon him. And every year, it's essentially 29 or 30 days that we come together as Muslims and we fast from dawn until dusk. So a big question that we get all the time is like, not even water? Yeah, not even water. So you refrain from all food and drink, and then you break your fast. You have a pre-dawn meal called suhoor, and then kind of lather, rinse, repeat for those 29 or 30 days because it is dependent on the lunar cycle. I feel like my question uh, the first time I was somewhere where people were celebrating Ramadan was not even gum. (laughs) That's hilarious. I mean, you can brush your teeth, but you have to be very careful not to swallow the toothpaste and the water. You got to be very yeah. strategic. But that's about as minty as you're getting. <laughs> and what is the purpose of fasting? Yeah. So the purpose of fasting, as far as refraining from food and drink go, it's really to kind of like humble and discipline yourself, right? Mm. And then number two, it's really a time to build or destroy a bad habit, right? Mm. Um, I think that I read something where it says it takes like 21 days to build a habit or break one. And Ramadan is 29 or 30 days, so it's perfect. (laughs) So a lot of times people try to build the habit of praying five times a day, which is obligated on Muslims. And so they're like, okay, let's try to get on that and build the habit for the year and continue that. And then other people, if they're pretty good on, you know, their obligations as a Muslim, they're like, you know, let me maybe stop smoking or maybe let me stop gossiping or maybe let me stop doing this bad habit that I have. So there's like this spiritual aspect and there's also a physical and mental aspect. And it's also extremely celebratory. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In times where I've been in like living in Muslim countries or places where they celebrate Ramadan, it's like it's incredible the capacity for celebration when people are hungry and thirsty. I think you can't like undersell what a celebratory time it is. I think you're exactly right. And I love that you've been in Muslim majority countries during Ramadan because I feel like the vibe is just community, right? You're not going through this by yourself. You have all these people who are shutting down their shops during the day. The city comes to life at night. 
Everyone has like these sweets that they're making. The family really comes together. They have their breaking of fast together. So I, I really do feel like it's the sense of family and community that makes everyone just feel like, wow, what a celebration. What an amazing time of year. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I mean, there is like a, a pretty big, I think, Muslim community in Salt Lake, but still it's not the majority religion by far. And so I'm curious what it's like for you and your family to celebrate Ramadan. It's a lot different in Salt Lake, to be honest. I think it's gotten better over the years as more Muslims have come into the state. But I'm not going to lie, it was kind of lonely growing up because it was just me and my family and maybe some friends here and there. But I don't feel like we have the the same sense of Muslim community and celebration like there is in, for example, Michigan or Chicago or New York or just some other places where there's it's more Muslim heavy, if you will. It was nice growing up and I enjoyed it, but I would say it felt it felt a little bit lonely or isolated at times where it's like your classmates don't really know what you're talking about. You know, at work, they don't really know what you're talking about. So you just have like this little group of people where you're like, yeah, it's Ramadan or yeah, it's Eid. But I love seeing the Muslim population grow more because like you said, you get that sense of celebration more. I'm curious what a day sort of looks like for someone who's fasting during Ramadan. I will tell you exactly what my day looks like. (laughs) What was your day today? So today I actually woke up for suhoor, which is a win, because sometimes I set my alarm and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. And then I give myself the dreaded just 10 more minutes. And then I wake up and I'm like, great, I'm actually completely starving and thirsty. And you just kind of have to ride it out. And about what time is this, to be clear? Like, what time did your alarm go off for suhoor? For suhoor, it was about like uh, like 5.15 a.m. 5.15. Okay. And I like to give myself enough time so that way I can have, you know, water, a sandwich, whatever I'm in the mood for in the morning. Mm -hmm. So everybody varies. Some people wake up at 4, 5, 5.30. Just as long as it's before dawn, you finish your meal before dawn and drinking something, you're good. So we do that, which is called sahur. And then you'll fast throughout the whole day. And what's really interesting, too, is like Ramadan is kind of different each year because we're on the lunar cycle. So this year, it's more in the springtime. So our days are not as long. Like last year, I think I was breaking my fast around 9 p.m., if not a little bit later, somewhere around there. But now I'm breaking my fast yesterday. It was around 8, 8 p.m. So that's really nice because once you start to get further and further back, like fasting in the wintertime is supreme (laughs) (laughs) because you're like, oh, okay, it's five o'clock. It's dark outside. Here we go. That's right. Um, (laughs) So you're just fasting throughout the day. Uh, You could be reading Quran, our holy book. You could be uh, praying the five daily prayers, uh, being with your family, just like reflecting on how you are as a person. And then when iftar comes, which is... Uh, dusk around Maghrib prayer time, then you'll break your fast, you'll eat, you'll enjoy some tea, some sweets, whatever your family does, and then be able to eat until Sahur again. And then you just kind of follow that throughout the throughout the month. One of the things that I want to do with you today is make like a bit of a guide for how to be a good neighbor during Ramadan. And I think that extends to like being a manager in a workplace or teacher, because my sense is like there are two sort of main institutions where it would be particularly difficult to be fasting during the day in a non-Muslim majority country or community. And that's probably school and work. Yeah. So I guess my first question is, 
you know, if I'm a manager at, I don't know, I manage like a comms team at the U, let's say, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate Ramadan as a manager and create a really inclusive workplace for all of my staff, should I ask who's fasting or should I just operate under the assumption that someone is fasting? Honestly, I think just for the manager to say, hey, I recognize that we might have some Muslim employees who might be fasting for the month of Ramadan. Please let me know if you need any accommodations. My office is open. Just kind of like an invitation instead of being like, hey, Nora and Fatima, I know you guys are Muslim. So for 100 <laughs> percent for a fact, you must be fasting. There's no other way around it. So we're going to do this, this and this. Because even if someone's Muslim, you know, they could still not be fasting for personal reasons or medical reasons. So you don't want to, like, put someone on the spot. But I think just having an invitation and being like, hey, I know we have Muslims on the team or I'm not sure if we have Muslims on the team, but here's an invitation that I'm willing to be flexible. I'm willing to speak with you. I'm willing to accommodate really goes a long way to just feel seen. Because we live in, I would say, like a world that can be very Islamophobic, a lot of people think they know what a Muslim looks like, but we don't, right? Like this is the fastest growing religion in the world. A quarter of the world is Muslim. And so you also just like can't make assumptions. The same place you wouldn't look at your workplace and be like, I know John is a Christian, I can tell. It's <laughs> like <laughs> you don't... <laughs> Right. And like just because someone has an Arabic name, like they might also be a Christian. Yes. So I think that is very sage. If we talk about, for example, a workplace, like what are some some safe bets for how to create like a really inclusive space during Ramadan? Yeah, I have a lot of recommendations because I've been in the school space and I've been in the workspace. So Perfect. with work, I would say if somebody has a schedule that can be adjusted, so maybe something that could work better with their like sahur slash iftar schedule, um, like switching their schedule if that's possible, offering breaks throughout the day because they might be more tired or maybe they want to go pray, offering a space to pray if that's possible, um, really making sure to not give someone projects or task them with something that's really high energy. So maybe like if they're on the phones all day, maybe move them to chat if that's an option. So I would just say like really accommodating their energy levels if they want to pray. And even if they want to break their fast, like what if their schedule leads into the nighttime when they want to, you know, have their have their meal, give them like 15 minutes to at least have some water and like a date to break their fast. That goes a really long way and makes them feel like, wow, I'm not working against my job, but they're working with me instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think another good one is just don't schedule lunch meetings. That's a huge one. That's perfect. Because yeah. it's like, it's, you know, the lunch meeting, a lot of, I think, managers schedule in good faith because the sense is like, yeah, it's great. Like, we'll buy lunch. We'll all gather. Everyone's going to love it. But that could be a real nightmare for someone who is fasting. I think so, too. And you know what? When I was growing up, it actually didn't bother me even at work if I people were eating around me because it's so interesting. Like when you set an intention, it's so different than just being like hangry or just like wanting something to eat because you're so like focused on something. But to your point, I feel like if your manager did that, it even if it doesn't quote unquote bother you, the fact that you took the time out to say, hey, 
we're not going to do lunch meetings this month to su- show support to our Muslim coworkers or students or whoever. That, if anything, is going to mean the world. On the point of schools, are there specific recommendations for teachers or classroom educators? Because I think especially for kids, like, I feel like kids either swing the direction of being like, shoot their head, I'm Muslim, or being like really quiet and low key about their identity. It's hard to know. It definitely is hard to know. And it depends, like you said, on how they feel as well. Some people might feel a little bit more shy. Maybe they're bullied. They don't feel comfortable. Other people might be like, yep, mm -hmm, I'm Muslim right here. I'm fasting. No pizza for me. And I'm proud. Um, But I think a couple of things to note for school, like even if someone's in university, it doesn't get any easier sometimes, especially if you're fasting right in the middle of summer and you have exams and homework due. Um, I think a couple of things to note for that is maybe creating an area like I know we talked about this to not have them all go to the cafeteria. Like if they're in elementary school, junior high, maybe provide a space where they can sit away from the lunchroom and just kind of gather and do their own thing. Um, Be flexible with exam dates. Maybe don't schedule a test right on read when we're breaking our fast and celebrating the, the end of Ramadan. Maybe don't be so strict on homework deadlines or be flexible. Even with university, I feel like a lot of times, like I wanted to reschedule things and my professors were sometimes a little bit too rigid where they're like, nope, this is the exam day. There's there's no budging. But even if I could just do it a day before, I'm not, I'm not even asking for an extension sometimes, that would be really helpful too. And just acknowledging that I... I can't necessarily keep up, quote unquote, with everyone else. And that's okay. I'm not having any food or any water for, you know, around 16 hours of the day. So I I think it's really nice when professors or teachers can be accommodating to that, whether it's a space or whether it's in the classroom. Yeah. Any advice for um, non-Muslims who might get invited over to someone's house for iftar, like for breaking the fast at dinner? Yeah, um, I think one good thing is asking how you can help or what you can bring, because typically Muslims will like bring a dish over or they'll bring sweets over if somebody's cooking the dinner. Also, if you like drink wine or alcohol, don't bring a bottle. Don't bring a bottle of that over because they're Muslim and, you know, most likely they don't drink. So Uh, Just different things like that. Just be more aware. And even if you don't know, you don't have to know everything, right? Like, I'm not going to know everything about another religion. If somebody invites you, just say like, hey, you know, thank you so much. Can you please educate me a little bit? What can I expect? Is there something specific you want me to wear? Maybe they are more modest in the house at that time. They want you to wear something more covered up or maybe they want you to like bring some sweets over. Like, I don't know. I just... I just think it depends on the family and it's always okay to ask. Why do you think it's so impactful for people to just like go the extra mile during Ramadan? I think for non-Muslims to go the extra mile, it means a lot because just a short time ago, we had our nation say like Muslims are banned from here. And I know that was repealed, but that sentiment doesn't come from nowhere. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times in our community, 
there are people who are so welcoming, so kind, but then there's also people who don't want us here and are not accepting. So I think when a lot of times the voices of the people who do not want us here or may not like us or are hateful towards us, when that's so loud, you have to work a little bit harder on the kindness side, right? Because if somebody compliments you 10 times, but one person humiliates you, usually the humiliation sticks out, right? It doesn't matter those 10 people who are kind to you. So going the extra mile, you may think like, wow, this is overboard or this is too much. But to that Muslim person who has maybe bullied the day before or was told, go back to your country or just, you know, maybe just silent an acceptance of just, you know, they do have pizza parties all the time during Ramadan or they're not willing to work with their schedule. They just feel a little bit isolated. When you go the extra mile as a non-Muslim, like you really are making that person feel seen, feel heard and like you're not alone. Like we are celebrating with you. And I think that's something beautiful that you can do as a non-Muslim. Last question for you. When do we know when Ramadan is over? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. So <laughs> as, as I said before, we're on the lunar cycle. So the crescent moon was spotted on Friday night. So that's how we knew we were fasting on Saturday. So it's about 29 or 30 days. We always know that. So it could be May 1st or it could be May 2nd. It depends on if qualified people in the community, usually imams or sheikhs, they uh, cite the next crescent moon. And then we know that's the last night of Ramadan and the next day will be Eid. So maybe May 1st, maybe May 2nd. Stay tuned. Okay, we will. <laughs> Nora, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Ramadan Karim. Ramadan Karim. Thank you, Ali. You're definitely coming over for iftar. Thank you. One more thing before we go. If you're an educator or parent looking for resources on teaching your kids about Ramadan, the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art has some cool guidebooks for elementary, middle, and high schoolers that include mindfulness videos as well as Ramadan-themed art projects. They were actually created by Nora and her colleagues, and you can find them at utahmocha.org community. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you're glad this show exists, I would be so grateful if you left us a review on Spotify. Spotify has star reviews now. It's a new feature, I think. Anyways, it would mean the world. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.